You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. If you're physician-centric, the tip of the spear of what's wrong with medicine today is there's no joy left because of the pressures put on the patient-doctor interaction. If the tip of the spear for you is patient-centric, then the problem is the desperate risk shifting that's going on in health insurance by employers the past 10 years, where the average employee risk share has increased 12-fold while wages have barely trailed inflation. So this explains a whole lot. It explains, number one, the stolen American dream, a phrase that Dave Chase coined, who's one of our past guests. It also explains a dramatic decade-long increase in medical bill bankruptcy, where 70% have insurance. And it explains why $81 billion was borrowed last year to pay medical bills despite having insurance for most of these folks. So the banks and the payday lenders love health insurance in the state of affairs today because they're making a lot of money. So deductibles for individuals have risen to an average of about $1,650 for an individual, and if you're a family, about $4,500. Here's the problem with the tip of the spear with patient centricity that I was talking about is that $1,000 is well beyond half Americans' capabilities, meaning they don't have the liquidity to pay their deductible. When what percent doesn't have the liquidity to meet a $4,500 family deductible? We don't know. Research has not been done, but about three in four workers make under $20 an hour, so you can do the math on that. And, and, and the benefits that are covered by insurance companies is shrinking every year. Carriers are removing or limiting what's covered. So here's the point of all this. We read about company culture every day. You can have a lovely retreat about values and mission and vivid visions, but what good is that if you don't, and you have an invigorating culture if you don't have health insurance accessible to 70% of your employees. It's like building a fancy treehouse with no ladder. It's no longer a benefit, in my opinion, but a danger zone for health insurance for most Americans. It's become a country club for the white collar earners, and that's why voters seem to be mad. The haves get more than the have nots, and they get the scraps, and that's health insurance in a nutshell. So you step into most of your people's shoes, take us the 70% that are making under 20 an hour. How does your MA feel when she can't afford to get her kids vaccinated and she can't get married, but where she's going to lose her Medicaid benefits? That's the new normal. Last year, for the first time in American history, over half the births were paid by Medicaid and to mostly unwed mothers. Or how about if you have an ER visit and that could lead to your family losing your trailer and everything you've built over the years? Losing eligibility for what we now call functionally uninsured is just terrifying. So getting married or going to an ER is a scariest, scariest moment. It's not in their world. So do you see how healthcare is at the center of what's going wrong with our society? So back to the data, an ER visit, an urgent care visit, or a hospitalization sent 43 million Americans into collections hell last year for medical debt. Remember, 81 billion I mentioned earlier borrowed to pay their medical debt. 
but half of all collections today are medical bills. It's a big, big business with 9,000 collection agencies organized in the ecosystem. And the three biggest bill collectors are HCA, number one hospital, number two, Dignity Catholic Health Initiatives merger, and number 10, Tenet. They own the biggest collection agencies and they earn three times on those agencies that they actually earn in the hospital business. So it's another time for another day, another talk. GoFundMe campaigns last year raised $650 million for strangers to pay other strangers' medical bills. It's one in three of their campaigns. Look, company culture is non-existent if you believe your company health insurance won't take care of you and your kids. Culture fails if my insurance is a treehouse with no ladder. And that's hard scrabble truth today for most Americans. No election issue is more deeply personal than health insurance. It's another talk for another day. My employees at Beacon Clinics have zero copay, zero deductible, zero premium. I use Redirect Health. We've talked to them three times before on this show. And I just completed writing my second book about my experience as an employer working with them. I have no financial relationship with them other than I'm a customer. But the book you'll see coming out in March of next year, and I'll be promoting it, I'm sure, on the show and in LinkedIn. So both are called Healthcare is Fixed. We'll talk about that another day. Today's guest is one of the most impressive guests I think I've interviewed, and his name is Dr. Chris Crow, and he probably should be my third book, because he's fixing primary care in Dallas, Fort Worth, and surrounding areas in other cities, bringing the best-in-class management and strategy tools to independent physicians. Christopher Crow, MD, is the CEO of Stratify Health and the president of Catalyst Health Network and is a nationally recognized health innovator. He's an award-winning PCP and has spent the past 20-plus years focused on helping primary care ecosystem thrive. Catalyst Health Network has connected and lined a network of more than 650 PCPs with nearly a million lives covered in North Texas. A million lives in North Texas. What's better good than to improve people's health and at lower cost? His work with Catalyst has led them to be the first North Texas physician network to hold a value-based contract with the top four major private carriers, and I'm talking about Blue Cross and the like. Today, since 2016, he's performed with significant savings of over $55 million for the communities served. Additionally, Catalyst is the fifth URAC clinically integrated network in the nation. In December of 2017 and in August, Stratify Health, the other company he started, became second in the nation to earn URAC accreditation. Stratify Health, I'm sorry this for this long intro, but it's pretty impressive, serves over 1,300 providers, 1.25 million lives, and over $5 billion in annual medical expenditures. In eight, 2018, Stratify Health was awarded number 19 out of the 100 fastest-growing companies in North Texas, and that's a super fast-growing region, so what a compliment. And Chris was named the Healthcare Innovator of the Year by DCEO Magazine, and he's won a ton of other awards, including the TAFP, Presidential Award of Merit. And Dr. Crow is also a finalist, and this is what impresses me the most, in the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award from the Southwest. That's really a big deal. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate the uh, nice intro. It's pretty messy out there, Chris, and uh, it's really encouraging to see folks like you uh, taking the opportunity to fix a messy space. What got you started in this? Uh, in some ways, it really started in my childhood in Hillsboro, Texas, which was a 
little town of about 7,000 people that had three or four doctors at, at any given time. And the interesting thing about those doctors were not only were they primary care physicians that, um, of course, served the community in the exam rooms and uh, in the hospital that we had there delivering babies and doing surgeries and running the ER, the whole thing, but they also served the community in many other ways. They were the mayor, they were on the city council, they were the head of the Methodist and the Baptist and the and the Presbyterian churches and on the sidelines for the football game. So they, they really had invested in the town to really help care, help, that, help that community from year to year in many more ways than just their MDs. And so that actually was so impressive to me that as I was trying to figure out what I was gonna do when I grow up and go to college, that was really what was stood out to me as the thing to do. I didn't have some good Samaritan moment, but I really thought those highly of those uh, people. And so that's the direction I took. And if you kind of fast forward to my ex experience in medical school and residency, I was a very confused student, uh, went to family practice because that's what I'd known in Hillsboro. And I really didn't understand how we took care of people the way we did. It didn't seem efficient. It didn't seem personal. It didn't seem uh, valuable. And, uh, and that was in the late nineties. And so I just said, when I got out and started my own practice that I was going to definitely be different and figure out what, whatever that meant, I was going to try to make the, the experience of healthcare be better. And you fast forward about 10, uh, almost 10 more years into the, into the late 2000s, what I was in Dallas, Fort Worth, and I'd grown a group to um, what is now called Village Health Partners and the largest practice in North Texas that is still private, that has not been consolidated of about 40 doctors. And we were the first NCQA level three patient center medical home in the whole, U whole US outside of the coast. And that was around that 2007-8 timeframe, which put us on the map to do the first value-based contracts in Texas around that designation with the blues and, and then ultimately with all the other major carriers. And the really interesting thing that happened in around you know, 9, 10, 11, was we started seeing data for the first time that showed just how much less expensive all these independent physicians were that I had in Village Health Partners versus the entire uh, Metroplex that was beginning to be absorbed by the two major systems. If you think back to 1995, there was almost no physicians employed by the two major hospital systems. 20 years later, nearly half of the market uh, is in those two systems. And so what was happening during that time was the costs were going up for those systems and to the tune of about 20 to 30% higher than when patients were seeing us and working through our little medical neighborhoods uh, of independent physicians. And so that, there was a really big moment, one of those kind of coffee shop moments where I write for four hours one winter night, um, thinking about how much of an analogy I was uncovering in, um, to my days in Hillsboro and how maybe I could help our communities thrive, not exactly the way they did in all those positions, but ultimately saving the community by making healthcare delivery more transparent, more efficient, ultimately a better uh, a better desirable place for a physician to practice rather than the burnout that you already mentioned in a, in a place where a, a patient could actually feel the benefit and then the purchaser, whether that be the government or the employer, actually would have value as well. And so really it was around that 2010, 11 uh, timeframe where we pivoted our commitment for the rest of our professional careers to really helping the independent physician stay as a, a cornerstone of a community because we felt like 
healthcare was a pillar in any community to be competitive, to be a thriving community along with education, civic leadership, transportation, things like that, and jobs. Uh, and if the healthcare wasn't good enough, then, then people and companies would go elsewhere, which, which we know is certainly true now. And so that's where we, we, we got the, the roots for, for Stratify Health and, and Catalyst Health Network. So independent physicians are super important to this ecosystem. I have my own theories why and the data why. What is your theories of data why independents are important to keep in the ecosystem? Well, the data was pretty clear. You know, it's, fair, it's, it's objective and it's been repeated across the country and, and we, all, we all know that now. But the other thing about independent physicians versus those that are employed, characteristics that we've kind of learned to understand is that, you know, when you're working for yourself versus working uh, in any type of employment, there's just a, a different le level of gumption that, that, that you have and, and gusto. I, I compare it to, you know, everyone has their favorite Italian food restaurant in their, in their town or in their neighborhood then there's just one of them and a family usually owns it and they know everybody in there and they know the, the patrons that come in. It just feels like you're getting served with love every day. Um, and then you compare that to some national chain like an Olive Garden, which has really great breadsticks, but it's just not the same experience or you don't feel like you're getting the same value. And we have all these name brand hospital systems out there that have a lot of jobs in the community and were you know, started oftentimes by, with very good intentions by you know, nuns across America that were trying to create a place to, for, for the less fortunate, um, but now are, are fairly impersonal machine, personal machines, whereas those independent physicians um, really still have a, a, a personality and a relationship with, with patients. And independent physicians generally, especially on the primary care side, have longer term relationships than the ones you're seeing in, in the health systems where they become a little bit more transactional in nature. Well, there's also, I think, the issue of burnout. It's a statistic that once you go into a system, burnout increases because while you think you gained autonomy over your schedule, you actually have more referral pressure and less autonomy, uh, and you find that out in very short order. No question. That's a, from the physician perspective, you've, uh, those, that data has been proven out over and over again as well. So when you have the burnout that's um, legendary, it also is directly linked to medical errors. And we have Three seven thirty sevens full of people going down every day due to medical errors, and that can be attributed not to systems, not to independence, but to highly burned out physicians that are in a meat grinder. So again, medical errors are killing more people than any other cause of death, other than coronary and cancer right now. Yeah, I would uh, certainly agree that physician burnout plays a role. I don't think we know how to tease out, you know, all the different reasons. I, I, I could give you three or four more that are potential variables inside of those numbers. For one, we don't coordinate care worth a darn in, in America. Fee-for-service is built around uh, one service line doing things over and over and over again uh, to make to make their, their profit versus there's no real business other than, of course, what we do for a living and trying to change business models around actually coordinating care for people. And it just allows for people to drop through the cracks and, and, and for communication to not be made. And and errors to occur. If you, if you think about how we actually take care of, of, of people in America w from a referral standpoint, we, we send people here or there, whether we're primary care specialists or hospital, we give them forms or we give them a business card. And think, compare that to what Amazon does with our toothbrushes and 
toiletry. You know, they're, they're sending those things around with barcodes and making sure they're tracked and you always know exactly where they are and they're getting it to it on time. We, we don't treat our people that way. Uh, and so there's lots of opportunities for, for errors to, to occur just, just in the lack of coordination. Okay, so now I'm going to switch roles and I'm a PCP and I want to potentially engage you, Chris, with either Stratify or Catalyst. What is the presentation going to look like in uh, you know, maybe two minutes or less? What's the elevator pitch for both of these? Yeah, we can we can take them one at a, one at a time. Stratify Health was how we started. You know, we again we had this uh, purpose around helping our communities thrive through helping independent practice remain a, a foundation of any community. And so we first and we continue to help independent physicians just run their business better. The main reason people are going into these hospital systems is because it's just gotten harder and harder to run their business, and they just throw up their hands and say, "Hey, I can't figure out this EMR stuff, IT things, email." They generally have a, um, you know, an office manager who's wearing a bunch of hats, including potentially their revenue cycle manager. They have an accountant. They have an IT vendor. They have an EMR vendor. And they're, none of them are coordinated or working together. And so what we built is a business that's a single relationship that has all of those things um, in, in one relationship to, be able to better them, uh, to, to create an opportunity for them to work with us, to, or us work with them is really what it is. Uh, to help them stand up on a platform that will allow them to see their patients and not have to worry as much about the coordination of the accounting and the IT and the EMR and the, and the revenue cycle. So therefore, they have a visibility with our financial management platform for the first time to drive their car, their business, with actually having a dashboard and be able to make proactive, aware choices in a world where prior, prior they did not. And so... What, what we find is these physicians say, I really, I never realized, you know, all they knew was whether their bank account was up or down. They never realized the connections between their operations and their financials and the choices that they made. Uh, they didn't have any perspective outside of their office of how they compared to something else. And they certainly, certainly were never able to be proactively strategic. They were always reactive as trying to make payroll. And so when you can help them in that way, shift from that reactivity for that proactivity, it really opens up the joy back in medicine again, because they can spend more time doing what they actually went to uh, medical school for, which is to take care of patients, because they have more time and attention to be able to do that. So before we jump into the same question for Catalyst, tell me as a physician, what is my earnings going to look like before and after? Uh, and then what is my out, what will my outcomes look like before and after? Well, like anything, it's not, I can't directly predict that because people make different choices. And so uh, these engaged practices can, can make a couple of different choices around this. There's ways that they could certainly um, make more money and they likely do and they almost always do just because they're paying attention to things and we're able to make some things more efficient and there's not a lot of friction around multiple vendors with different uh, incentives. And so we're able to align those incentives, remove all that friction, which lowers the cost barrier and then also help them become more productive as an organization because they have visibility to how all their operational decisions hit the financial. So yeah, they can, they can make, you know, 10, 15, 20% more pretty easily by starting to take better care of your business, which is why compare that to corporate America, you bring in turnaround specialists all the time into, into companies to help turn around a business in another way. So we would be that, we would be that for that. Now, the other thing that sometimes physicians do and they tell me, it's like, look, I don't need to make any more money. I just like to have more time. And that time could be spent for family, more you know, patient time, 
leisurely activities. And so it's, it's one of the byproducts that we discovered that you mentioned um, that was connected to physician burnout, that some of them are just happy that they're able to make the same and it just doesn't take quite as much time to do it in the same way that lets them again uh, have a different part of their life uh, that, that is fed, that's maybe not fed right now when they're all consumed with, with the typical fee-for-service practice model. Okay. And so outcomes are a little harder to measure, I guess, in terms of what, how patients benefit from this. But I've, theoretically, a happier doctor is going to be a happier patient interaction. Yeah, so here's how we th- here's how we back it up. When I say we're we're here to help our help our communities thrive, that that's our purpose statement. If you back into that to have to have helping communities thrive, you have to have a citizenship for patients or people who are healthy. For for people to be healthy, one of the components for that is as you mentioned, you have to have healthy physicians. You mentioned how how hard it is from a physician burnout standpoint to then treat your patients and lead to medical errors. Well, what's even before the physician health is their practice health. If their practice is not healthy, then actually they cannot be healthy themselves. And therefore, this downstream thing that you, you, uh, you articulated so well happens. Okay. So really starting with stratify health at the practice level was really important for us. I understand. Um, so let's now get into Catalyst, the same set of questions. The first one we can was, what's the big problem Catalyst was built to solve as it followed Stratify? So what we noticed after we started Stratify is that while we were really helping a lot of patient practices, and those are primary care and specialty in that in that particular business, uh, what we noticed is that wasn't actually enough to, to protect them. Certainly they felt more comfortable in their business per se, but the macroeconomics of Dallas-Fort Worth were that these narrow networks were beginning to occur. And again, this was in, at this point, we're in 2014. And so I had left clinical practice the year prior to start Stratify Health. And then we began talking to all of the different payers and in Dallas-Fort Worth, 85% of the market from a commercial uh, employment standpoint are self-insured. And so they were all coming and saying, hey, can you take Village Health Partners that's doing so well in these value-based contracts, it's only 30 or 40 doctors, can you take it, turn it into 300 or 400? And we said that we think that's going to be a little bit difficult. And given the pace and sequence that we need to, to go uh, with these narrow networks, because that was causing a new level of consolidation in the market, because physicians were now worried, not only was it hard to run a business, but they were going to get cut out of patients. And the, the, the payers, as agents of the employers, were saying, no, no, we'd like another option than just the two health hospital systems. We'd actually like they're to the independent practices, which we've read the studies. By this point, that becomes a national story um, around what, what happens from independent versus consolidation in the, uh, hospital systems. We'd like to have an option, but there's not one formed. And so that became the problem statement was, can we take the independence of the ones that we know, create a band of brothers and sisters to actually come together to get some economies of scale around uh, um, the DFW marketplace to, to provide access points for those Fortune 100 companies that have people in 25 different zip codes to where there was good access as a coordinated effort around delivering care to a population uh, of patients overall. And so that became Catalyst Health Network. And we took 2014 working with all the payers and said we would do this only if they all participated. And Certainly, it took a while, but after about 14 uh, months through 14, by 2015, we launched. We immediately were able to attract about 300 primary care physicians. That was a choice we made up front. 
We knew that primary care physicians were at the cornerstone of, of every value-based contract. We knew that there were studies that were beginning to emerge and have only been more after that, that if you have a primary care physician, not only, not only do you live longer, but you generally have a different cost profile. So we knew that relationship in, in healthcare between a primary care physician and, and a, a patient was very different than the other pieces of healthcare because they're not transactional, it's longitudinal. So we, we focused our efforts to surround that relationship with data, with, with care teams. We have about 100 care team members right now. We can talk more about that if we want to. And then, and then technology that allows for communication. And basically what we set up in, in Texas, this analogy plays well, is, is Catalyst became the league and all these primary care physicians became the team. And we created this synergistic me-we relationship uh, where the the league can only exist and do well if there's great teams and the great teams can only exist and do well if the league does its job. And so that you, you mentioned our performance over the performance years of 16, 17, and 18 have been fantastic, especially in a PPO market where patients can actually run around and do whatever they want. It's, um, we were able to uh, have about 400,000 lives being attached to that in an attribution model. Those practices themselves have about a million lives in them and we're able to bring them services to have them do things that they never could do before with their patients, which is take the hardest ones, which again, if you think about the burnout problem, at that extra patient at the end of the day that takes the extra hour that keeps you from going to the soccer game or having dinner with your family, but the patient really, really, really needs you that day. Um, that's the dilemma that doctors get into every single day, and it's really a, a moral dilemma on which one do I choose and you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. And you, then you get up next day and you do it again. That just wears on you, wears on you, wears on you. And so what we try to do is help them with those hardest patients and surround them with a team that can be a virtual exam room in between office visits and elevate information back to the, to the practice because we work inside of their EMRs and have them have a team that's not only their medical assistant, but Janice and Tony and John that are their care coordinators, their case managers and, and pharmacists that they can have attached to them at all times for any patients they need. Essentially, I built the team that I wish I'd have had when I was practicing that would have helped me take better care of people. And we built that capability with Catalyst Health Network. Well, you've touched on it, and I want to dive a little deeper into the chronic care management. And again, this, the trick with value-based care seems to me to be to not ignore the 80% that are healthy and want to be left alone, but to see them for their annual physicals and their vaccines and whatever they choose to come in for but to set up a chronic care plan for an asthmatic so that they have plenty of albuterol around the house and around the office so that the hypertensive or the pre-hypertensive is identified earlier and you're able to treat them with the proper medication regime so they're not going to go into ER. And the same thing with uh, pre-diabetics and diabetics. You've got these giant populations of 20 to 30% of a million people that you're serving. And if you can just get those numbers under order by making sure they've got a plan, they've got a doctor, they've got lots of attention, which they've been ignored in fee-for-service for, for too long because of all the pressures you mentioned. So um, is, is that the secret to value-based care is to really develop a beautiful chronic care plan around those chronics? And I'm talking about mental health. There's a dozen other areas, but anybody who's really a burden on the system and to themselves right now. You know, we, we say this a lot, that there's a, there's a thousand different ways uh, to lower the cost of care and provide value in, in the system as it, as it is today, um, lots of different ways. And I will tell you that it varies by the population and the geography and, and the resources that are in those. 
So I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. There's, there is in North Dallas, one of the things we have to be careful of is to help patients not get too much care. There is, you know, so many surgery centers, so many hospitals and so many billboards and marketing about the care. We don't, we don't need that much care. And it's actually can be problematic and certainly costly. The Southern part of Dallas, our problem is to getting people access to care. There's not, there's not the same amount. And that, that, so, so even in our own geography, our strategies are, 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 are different and you have to be dynamic. What, that's why in this value-based world, there's not this one size fits all or we, or we probably would have already, we've already seen it. You have to be precise in, in what you're wanting to do. And, and you're right though, across the board though, that certainly the, the old cliche about 5% of the population making up 50% of your costs or some variant of that is true. And so we do focus there. We focus on several things, but that is one of the areas that we focus. We brought pharmacy into it because the one thing that you have when you have current disease are medications. And, and unfortunately, the, the disease management of the 90s uh, started to segregate people and put them into silos of disease. I'm diabetic, I'm COPD, I have CHF, I have asthma. When really most people in chronic disease have more than one and, and they're not necessarily divided by their disease. They're all incorporated into one human. And so we think of chronic disease management holistically. So we think of things like medications first and making sure that if there is a care plan whether that we're sticking to it, most people are not taking their medicines correctly or consistently. And that was one of the things that I had such a hard time with when I was a, when I was a physician seeing patients. And so we've created a system now where we can actually know whether patients are taking their medicines or not because we actually are controlling the product in conjunction with their entire care team that's supporting the physician. So the physician can make certainty um, when they make decisions rather than on very subjective patient information like I take my pills most of the time or that when I take some of the time and then we make our clinic decisions off clinical decisions off of that which if you think about it is really scary and part of the ways we get into trouble with uh, you know too many medical errors we're starting to close the gap on that from a patient safety standpoint and create better clinical results and the better clinical results immediately uh, start to process down into uh, cost savings. Well you've addressed the first question I have which is the medical adherence issue and you sound like you have some type of an electronic or Bluetooth way of knowing if they're actually taking their pills or not. And that's something the whole world should know more about. Yeah, I would say it's, it's, a, it's not a Bluetooth yet. Uh, it started as a, a process around, hey, how can we answer the question of, did the patients actually take their medications? And so we, needed, we would need a pharmacy to do that. So we have a central fill pharmacy where we fill over a thousand scripts a day. Uh, we deliver them to their home or work one of the key pieces, so that's a key piece, the delivery, and, the, and another key piece is, is the packaging. Instead of pill bottles, which were the bane of, was my, bane of my existence, is they could spill and do all these different things and they never added up right, we packaged by day, and then we're able to allow um, our, our pharmacy team or our care team to communicate with our patients on a monthly cadence. So the 24th day of, of every 30-day cycle, we communicate with the patient. In the beginning, that's actually a pharmacist's phone call to the patient. It's the same pharmacist every time. So they're building a relationship with a pharmacist. They're building a relationship with a pharmacist that works with their physician. So there's a lot of trust in that relationship. Again, everything we do builds around relationships. That's our number one core values, that relationships matter. And so we're able to know ahead of time, before it gets down to the 30th day, 
whether they're taking their medicine or not. And inevitably, almost every time the first month, they're saying, oh, I'm on day 17, not, not on day 24. So that gives you a chance for a conversation before they get too far off path. And usually our numbers say by, by the 90th day, we're able to take people from an average of 60% adherence to over 90% adherence. And immediately the clinical markers go down. Now that's beginning to get more automated to where they can, they can text and we're looking at ways to even look at this more than once a month to do look at it more than like once a day, even for them to be reporting in so you can escalate earlier. We think the 90 day drug, uh, you know, culture of America for chronic disease patients is seriously bad for their health. If they're only taking 60 percent of their meds right at any given time then giving someone a 90 day refill and then auto adjudicating it like the big pharmacy benefit managers do because that's how they make their money is really, really bad for their health. Um, and they need to be connected back into the care team if, if they have that type of chronic disease. So we don't like people to see people get off 30 day off more than 30 days off path. And by the way, folks, I looked into this company. PillPack is the company that does this uh, packaging for AMPM and tells you exactly what's in there. Um, they will refer you to a pharmacist because they don't actually deal directly with MDs. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, compliance rate of going to see a specialist. Roughly half that are referred out don't go see the specialist for various reasons. How do you get around that problem with value-based care? Yeah, so that's a that's a great segue to one of the thing the other things we tackle that we think is one of our uh, two or three secret sauces. The medication adherence is one, and uh, care coordination around referral management is another one. Again, I mentioned I think I mentioned it earlier the way we refer patients today from a primary care standpoint or even a specialist to a specialist or even to an imaging center or a physical therapy, we give people a card, a business card, a physical business card, or maybe a form that we filled out and checked alphabets. And then we put it in the phys and we put it in the patient's hands and say, okay, you go, you go get this done. And we know that people are in, in general get distracted or they may not, you know, people say not they're non-compliant. I don't think people are actually non-compliant, like they're trying to do bad things for themselves. You, generally, they just have some boundary. Like the biggest one being, they may not have said it in the room, but do they even believe they need that referral? Do they believe they need that study? You know, are they financially in a place that you well described that they, they're worried about actually going to those, those things? And so no one has that conversation with them in a fee-for-service world in a 15 or 10-minute appointment. And so now, with what we have, we're able to, to do something a little bit different to be able to have those conversations. For one, we can attach them to a care coordination team and a case manager that can, that if they don't go to these appointments, we can dig into that a little bit. And here's the magic is we're actually tracking that. Instead of handing them a card, we actually put the referral in in a few fields, transfer the data to the, to the specialist or the imaging center, whatever the case may be, we, we know for sure whether the specialist or the imaging center has received it. They have to acknowledge it. So that's a data point. We also send an email or a text to the patient. So they have, a, they have an electronic tracking system for that. And then we put it on the, on the, the, the specialist and or the imaging center or, or facility to, for them to reach out to the patient to, to talk to them. And so that changes the orientation a little bit, and then we can watch and track, and we can see when the appointment's made, we can see when the appointment actually happened, and we can run reports to see, look at different ratios, look at different conversion rates, and, find, and, and look at following up with patients that did not actually go to those appointments to find out why, and it ends up in those conversations that I mentioned. So we're now doing you know, almost 5,000 referrals per week that we're tracking. 
in tracking all those different data points by specialty, by location, by physician, by, uh, by ancillary, and, and by individual primary care referral to see if they're doing something different even inside a practice. So there's all this learning that's happening right now. And what we've created is a network in Dallas-Fort Worth of 5,000 different specialists and in, in service uh, locations that are actually connected on a network, which has not been done anywhere in America. And so you have everybody on a platform, despite 90 different electronic medical record systems that are on different versions, we've actually created a network effect. And once you get that network effect, it gets more and more powerful. And people know that that's the only way we're gonna do referrals now, because we have to track them. And if you think about who's paying for care, whether that's be an employer or the government, whoever, they, that makes a whole lot more sense that we would track the, the, the patients in a way like that than the way we've done before. The claims data that you get from insurance companies tells you what happened in the past, and you, it doesn't give you a relationship of how it actually happened. What we now have is a, a, an evolving ecosystem of seeing how people are moving around the market and how that's happening. Uh, it, it's preliminary now in 2018 and 19. I think you'll see us just, that information will get more and more powerful that I think will improve the service experience for the patients for sure, because I think you'll see better, um, uh, be better customer service out of those referring doctors. Um, and then also ultimately you'll be able to attach that to some costs as well. Well, Chris, I, I feel like you barely scratched the surface, but I promised you a limited amount of time to, of your schedule that's busy, obviously, today. Um, we will have to pick this up again and do more of this interview because we just literally just got to a few of the questions. But the good news is that folks can now reach you in what way? What how, If they want to find you and in what cities are you working in right now? Yeah, so um, we are in Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, we actually do, uh, through our brand in Oklahoma, is called Careways, and we have a couple hundred thousand lives where we run our care management platform directly to employers, and then we work with the local physicians um, all, across, um, all across the state, every town in the state of Oklahoma. In Texas, we've now expanded, and Catalyst is in East Texas and has about 100 primary care providers out there, and we're now moving down south, and you're, you'll hear some good announcements here in the next maybe 30 to 60 days for a couple of different markets down there and, and uh, plan to probably double um, Catalyst footprint over the next uh, 18 months. And so excited, excited for that growth and those opportunities. Well, when I hear South, I think Houston and San Antonio and Austin, but I'm not going to press you. You got to wait and see. <laughs> okay. There's yet another reason to talk again. Well, um, so what, how do people find Catalyst if they're looking for you, Chris? Both have websites and uh, you can go to the, the information and, and uh, find a lot of different things for sure and answer a, lo a lot of questions. And then if people are trying to contact me for any reason, um, just through those informational portals, I, I often get things passed to me from, from our marketing team um, that, that come through there. Thanks again for your time, and we'll pick this up again soon. All right, whenever. Take care. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One Go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.